Hello world, this is Codebreaker. I'm Ben Brock Johnson. The first time I ever heard about buying and selling stuff on the dark web was about 12 years ago. It wasn't at a hacker conference or on the evening news. It was in the middle of the little road in front of my parents' house in a small town in Connecticut. My neighbor across the street was mowing his lawn on a sit-down mower. I was waiting for a friend to pick me up and go out to lunch or something. When my neighbor saw me in front of my house, he stopped his mower, walked up to me, and asked me a very direct question. Hey Ben, do you know how to get me some weed? Okay, not technically my neighbor right there, but the guy I'm talking about is an accomplished engineer, gainfully employed. He's got a wife and kids. I don't know where he got the idea that I was someone who could do this for him. I figured maybe it was that we were friendly and I was in my 20s and he was not. But it turned out his real motivation came from the fact that he had lost his hookup in the digital world. He told me, Usually I get my drugs online. What? How and why would you buy pot online? But then he told me more and more about this whole other world beneath the web we all use every day. Sites and links that were like unlisted phone numbers. You had to be in the know to visit them. He told me, You can pretty much buy anything on there. You just have to know how to look. You just have to know how to look. On Codebreaker, we decipher our complicated feelings about technology by asking straightforward questions with a sense of humor, a sense of awe, and sometimes a sense of dread. This season, we got one question in mind, three little words. The answer can be tough. Um. Oh. Um. Evil? A little, maybe, yeah. Is it evil? We are asking this question about one kind of technology in every episode. Today, we're going to hear from a guy driven to the dark web for life-saving drugs that he couldn't afford otherwise. We could not pay for our electricity and water this month, and we could get your inhaler. A woman who spends a lot of her waking life trying to stamp out the kind of crime she says the dark web propagates. We're really trying to make sure that the dark web is not as anonymous as the people who are on it think it is. And hear how much dark web marketplaces have grown in recent years. We can order anything and have it brought to us. Why can't we get drugs online? So, the dark web, is it evil? Remember, there's a code in every one of our episodes, so listen closely. When my neighbor asked me to score him some pot, it was because his online contact had gone offline or further underground, and he was stuck holding the bag, or rather, not holding the bag. This is actually a familiar story for dark online markets. Just like the rest of the internet, the dark web is in a constant state of transformation and evolution. You could compare it to Spider-Man's anti-hero Venom if you were into comic books, but really it's just like any technological ecosystem, changing and evolving quickly with the added incentive of staying ahead of the law. If you've heard of the dark web, you've probably heard of Silk Road, the famous marketplace for illegal drugs and more that was shut down two years ago by the FBI. Stats can be tricky because the website mostly used the cryptocurrency Bitcoin for transactions, but Silk Road is said to have facilitated $200 million of transactions that resulted in around $1.2 billion in revenue, all thanks to around 150,000 paying customers. 31-year-old Ross Ulbricht is serving a life sentence after being convicted as the site's mastermind and leader, known online as the Dread Pirate Roberts. When he was given the maximum sentence, Judge Catherine Forrest said that Ulbricht was an example, 
a warning to others that selling illegal drugs and other contraband on the dark web isn't worth it. The funny thing is, dark web markets have only multiplied since Silk Road closed. Evolution, Pandora, Agora, Nucleus, and the number of listings for illegal drugs on darknet markets have more than doubled. They're easy to use, too. I should know. I bought some stuff on the dark web the other day with the help of my guide, Wired reporter Andy Greenberg. Hey. Hey. How are you doing? Good. How are you? So we're here in your apartment. Yeah. It's a beautiful sunny day outside. We're going to buy some drugs on the dark web. No, we're actually not going to buy drugs. We're going to buy something legal of your choosing. You got a browser open. What are we using? Safari? We were using Tor. The letters, T-O-R, stand for The Onion Router, which is an apt name. It's a layered networking protocol that was actually designed by the U.S. government and turned into more of a popular tool by researchers at MIT. And it's meant to anonymize you as you travel about the web by bouncing your activity through a bunch of computers that are part of a kind of volunteer anonymizing network. By adding these layers, the Onion Router makes it hard to discover your computer's IP address, which makes it hard to find you in real life. Tor, and specifically its browser tool, is a dark web shopper's preferred mode of travel because it's pretty effective. Andy was using Tor's browser tool to look at a dark web market called Alpha Bay. Yeah, Alpha Bay seems to be like the new hot market. Can we browse? Yeah, pepper spray, stun gun porn. I don't know why anybody would buy their porn on the dark web. Unless it's illegal porn, of course. Um, Let's see if there are any guns. Here's homemade firearms. Does not sound advisable. Yeah, here's a real gun. J22 semi-automatic single action pistol. $400. I would say that the whole idea that these sites are used to sell any quantity of guns is a little bit overblown. Because it's really hard to ship a gun in the mail. And I think in general, people come to these sites mostly to buy drugs. Prescriptions, steroids, tobacco, weight loss, ecstasy, cannabis, psychedelics. Should we buy something? Sure. Let's find something legal to buy on the illegal marketplace. From the marketing copy on down, Alphabay looks about as close to Amazon or eBay as you can imagine. It's easy to search and navigate. Sellers have logos, buyers review them, and leave messages about the product. And that's the only real difference. Most of the product is illegal or related to something illegal. Let's just keep looking for a minute to see if anybody has... Whoa. Designed as a pack of cigarettes, Marlboro cigarettes, and it's actually a, a scale that you would use to to weigh some drugs on. I don't know. Let's just give it a shot. It's only 15 bucks. Andy had set us up a dummy account just for our purchase. Well, I created this account um, with the name Dank Nugs, just to fit in. Um, Dank Nugs, just to fit in. And the password, of course, is Ben Johnson. Oh, perfect. Um, no, no, actually. I, I won't share what the password is. <laughs> and, I, and I put... I'll show you how this works. Like, you go to your account page and this is a bitcoin address when you buy something you send money in the form of the cryptocurrency bitcoin to the marketplace the marketplace holds that bitcoin and when your order is delivered you let the marketplace know and it releases the funds to the seller a process again very familiar to the light web and alphabet makes a commission on every transaction just like ebay 
The only confusing part was where to put in the shipping address. We weren't positive we got it right, but we sent an extra encrypted message to the seller just in case. Then I asked Andy if the evolution of Alphabay and other dark web markets was a bad thing or a good thing. The dark web drug sites are definitely getting better in the sense that they're easier and easier to use as a buyer or a seller. But I think that they're getting worse in this other respect, which is that they, you know, the the Silk Road had this kind of principle of victimless crime only. There wasn't supposed to be stuff that, you know, that hurt people. Other Uh, than, I mean, you could make the argument that illegal drugs hurt people, but I see what you're saying. The, The sites that we've seen pop up since the crackdown, there are fewer rules. Right. I mean, there are still rules. You can only get so evil before um, you really attract law enforcement. But nonetheless, like you can see that the dark web is getting darker. Andy, thank you. Well, I hope you enjoy your, your Marlboro cigarette package drug scale, which should be arriving in 14 days. And then you should remember to tell me to, to complete the escrow payment or we're going to, you know, or Dank Nugs is going to get negative feedback. <laughs> we don't want Dank Nugs to get negative feedback. Definitely not. Even if you have heard of this part of the web, you can get confused between the dark web and the deep web. That's because they're connected. We wanted some help understanding the difference between the two and the numbers involved, so we asked Katie Thompson, emerging tech editor from our partners in making this podcast, Tech Insider. Hey, Katie, thanks for coming by. Hey, thanks for having me. All right. Deep web, dark web, these are two different things, kind of, sort of. Yeah, Um, You know, some people use them interchangeably, but really there's the deep web, which is the part of the Internet that you can't get to through a Google search browser because it's everything sort of behind a firewall. So think your bank accounts are behind a password, et cetera. Ah, okay. And then there's the dark web, which is this part of the, the deep Internet. It's much smaller that you can get to that has marketplaces, websites, online forums, but it's all anonymous. And to get there, you have to have some sort of special software. Can you talk generally about how much commerce is happening on these marketplaces and give us a sense of that? $500,000 a day. Whoa. Yeah. Half a million dollars a day. Yeah. At some points, it's way more than that, but at least $500,000 a day. There's a strong demand for that. Christmas, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. Do we have a sense of how many people who are drug users are actually going to the dark web for this stuff? Again, because it is the dark web and because there are so many um, variables, it is hard to determine. Sure. But according to a a 2015 global drug survey, um, about 10 percent to 15 percent of drug users are in the U.K., U.S., and Australia have purchased these drugs off the net. And quite frankly, uh, after I began researching this, I started talking to just friends and was shocked by how many people I know, I think quite well, have bought drugs off the internet. Mm. What do they say about why? It's easy. I mean, if you can have something delivered to your doorstep, sure. And it's sort of this culture that we've grown up in, right? I mean, we trust the internet in a big way. We do. Um, For better or for worse. And so we've grown up in this world, we can order anything and have it brought to us. Why can't we get drugs online? Hang tight. More Code Breaker in a minute. 
shouldn't be online where anybody can go in and buy stuff that will harm themselves. Um, I think it's wrong. I think it's mostly for evil purposes. Um, if they if they think that it is okay, then everyone is in their right mind to think whatever they want. I think that it's a very evil thing. Yeah. Sounds like people are leaning towards evil, but this next story might have changed some of their minds. There's one other thing Katie from Tech Insider told me. While 75% of what's being sold on the dark web is illegal drugs, with cannabis being the top seller, there's another trend. Over the last few months especially, prescription drugs have become an up-and-comer. Huh. Yeah. And that's interesting for a few reasons, primarily because it could mean people have an addiction to prescription pills or they're turning to these marketplaces as an alternative to get cheaper drugs because they are actually prescribed it and they can't afford the prices at the pharmacy. If you think the idea of buying legal drugs on a dark web marketplace sounds far-fetched, let me tell you the story of Ross Whitaker. A while back, his wife Jackie was diagnosed with severe asthma. Treatment looks like you might expect. Here's Ross. I mean, to start off, she has two inhalers that she has to use every day. One is a maintenance inhaler. Uh, which she uses two times a day. And then she also has another inhaler. It's called a rescue inhaler. And she has trouble breathing. That's when the rescue inhaler comes in. But they're not cheap. No. No, they're not cheap. (laughs) The maintenance inhaler is for everyday use. The rescue inhaler is for emergencies. Usually those happen in the middle of the night. So Jackie has to sleep with it next to her. Point is, this is medicine that keeps her alive. She needs to carry it with her all the time. And the monthly cost? $350. When Jackie and Ross went through the Kentucky healthcare system, that $350 monthly cost wasn't covered. I mean, she literally tried to get a prescription for her inhaler filled, and uh, the pharmacy said it's going to be $300. There was no way. We couldn't afford that at the time. You know, we could sit down and look at our budget and say, well, you know, we could not pay for our electricity and water this month and we could get your inhaler, you know, but that's not really an option either. As Ross and Jackie were trying to figure out some way to pay, Ross had separately become kind of interested in the dark web. I almost kind of like informally study them (laughs) in a way. I just I have a fascination with them. And because of that, um, I had talked to her about it. These are the sorts of things that you can purchase on these markets. Uh And it's not just illegal drugs and whatever else, but it's also, you know, blood pressure medicine and, (laughs) uh, you know, Viagra, whatever. You know, there's there's all kinds of things on there. One night, kind of out of nowhere, she said, do you think we could get an inhaler? from one of those darknet markets? And I said, you know, I don't know, but I'll I'll look. So you looked? I did. I did look. And I, yeah, I, I found an inhaler. And I was able to find a vendor that sold, uh, you know, the exact maintenance inhaler that she needed. You know, same brand same dosage and all that. And it was uh, significantly cheaper. How much cheaper are we talking? Uh, It was $30 with international shipping. 10%. 
Yeah. <laughs> of the cost. Right. But these drugs were coming from India. Ross looked really carefully at the seller's reviews. The guy seemed legit, had almost five stars and a ton of ratings. So they ordered one of Jackie's inhalers. And a few weeks later, it showed up in the mail. It looked completely normal. It was just in a nondescript cardboard box. Did you sit down and have her use the inhaler with your hand on the phone? Or how did that... (laughs) No, no. No, um... Yeah, (laughs) Jackie's a... uh, Let's say a very daring woman, I guess. I mean, she just used it. <laughs> Once we realized that it was identical to the one she already had, and she just went for it, and it was fine. I asked Ross what he thought about the reputation the dark web has as a place for criminal activity and illegal drugs. Well, to some degree that's true. I can understand how someone would look at... Uh, these markets where illegal drugs are being sold and just assume that everyone that's using them is a criminal. Um, and, te- and technically, I suppose you are. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I was going to say. Yeah, I mean, but there's more to it than that. I definitely think that they're positive for both people that are using illegal drugs and people like me and my wife who just needed to be able to afford a medication that Jackie needed to continue living. Ross Whitaker, thank you, man. Yeah, no problem. For Ross and Jackie, buying that inhaler was a risk. And in that moment, it felt like a necessary, even essential risk. But there's a researcher in Montreal who says the dark web marketplaces might actually reduce risk. It's a controversial opinion, one that the judge in the Silk Road trial called fantasy. But David Decree Haytu says it might not be. He and other researchers used a custom-built web crawler to pull data on all of the transactions on Silk Road before the site was shut down. What did they find? it looks like these sites aren't just catering to regular consumers and drug users. They may be catering to dealers buying wholesale. Knowing who is a drug dealer and a drug user is very difficult, but what we've seen is that people can buy a large amount of drugs on these online marketplaces. If dealers are using these sites, they avoid buying their product from suppliers on the streets, where violence is very real. Here's another interesting example. Everything gets paid for up front, so there's no such thing as a supplier loaning drugs to a dealer on spec with the threat of violence if the dealer doesn't complete his sales. David says these dark web markets are also changing how more general drug trade economics work on a small scale, no matter what role you play in the supply chain. One of the ways that it changes the drug distribution is people don't have to meet face-to-face. So you go into these markets and you can just look at the pictures and see the reviews for the product you want to buy and have it mailed to you. So there's very little chance of you getting into violence or getting into an altercation with your supplier just for the reason that you don't know who that person is. And in many cases, the dealer is going to be in a different country than the buyer, which means that, you know, who's going to take an airplane just to go and beat up their dealer? We don't think that's really going to happen. So I put the basic question to him. Do online markets actually reduce violence? 
Well, the the one thing is you're not likely to see this in any official statistic because the size of these crypto markets is so small compared to the size of the overall drug market that you're gonna you're not gonna see a drop in the number of um, violent acts registered in any of the official statistics. But I mean, it's pretty evident that just because people don't meet face to face, well, the likelihood of there being violence are going to be reduced. Should we be in favor of these? sites? I'm not pro or against these crypto markets. I think that these markets can be very useful for different types of purchases. There's a lot of people that use them that don't want to be tracked by the government. They don't want to be tracked by large corporations. And they're buying t-shirts, they're buying computer parts, and they're not criminals uh, or offenders in any sense of way. They're just basically people who are more libertarian and who don't, don't want to be tracked. And so I think that these markets can be very useful. Now, what people do with that technology is something that's completely different. People who use crypto markets have more information about what they purchase. Um, for example, in the case of drugs, you're going to have a lot of reviews for each of the product. And I think from a public health point of view, that's very interesting for drug users because if drug users are going to use drugs, then they might as well use products that are safe for them. So I, I think they do have some positive uh, impact on society, and maybe it forces us to put into question, so this stuff that we don't like, should it really be illegal? Should it be legal? What do we do now that is accessible? How should we deal with it? As you might expect, law enforcement doesn't feel real great about dark web markets. We wanted to talk to somebody in law enforcement dealing with them right now. So we called up Leslie Caldwell. She's assistant attorney general for the Justice Department's criminal division. I started by asking her the same thing I asked David Deckery Haytu. Does the dark web make the drug trade safer? They make it safer for the criminals, I would say yes. I don't think they make it safer for people who are purchasing the drugs, for example, in Silk Road alone. We're aware of at least six overdose deaths as a result of drugs purchased off the Silk Road website. We've seen over the last few years criminals really flocking to various markets on the dark web, and we've had to adapt our law enforcement tools. We're really trying to make sure that the dark web is not as anonymous as the people who are on it think it is. You're somebody who's had a lot of experience in trying to help the Department of Justice fight all kinds of crime. Do you think cybercrime is solvable? Do you think it's fixable? Very few societal problems are fixable by criminal prosecution. We've gotten incredibly more sophisticated in our cybercrime prosecutions. Uh, we're not just reacting to things that happen. We're out, we're, we have a lot of undercover operations and a lot of very sophisticated operations. We have a lot of technical expertise. So it's certainly something that we're determined to, to fight, but I don't know that law enforcement alone can stop cybercrime. It must be really hard to do your job because it sounds like an endless war. I wouldn't call it an endless war. I mean, it's um When will it end then? I mean, it in terms end. of in terms of fighting crime. It doesn't you know, end. People have been fighting crime since I don't even know how long, thousands of years ago, and the crime just keeps evolving as our technological capabilities keep evolving. Crime, unfortunately, is something that really is limited only by the human imagination, which is, by definition, pretty much unlimited. And now with the human imagination being aided by incredibly sophisticated tools, 
that are available to very smart and sometimes even not so smart people. It just makes it that much more difficult. Do you think the dark web is evil? No, I think that um, inherently it's not. There's nothing wrong with it. In fact, it has some very positive uses in terms of enabling people in certain countries with repressive regimes to communicate anonymously, and it enables freedom of expression in a lot of places. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We've had this entire conversation about how bad these marketplaces are, and now you're saying, no, it's not evil. It's not evil, but it's being used by people who have evil intent. So there are a lot of people out there in countries where people can't speak their mind and where they can't access the Internet openly that use this as a mechanism to communicate. Uh That's not who we're talking about. We're talking about criminals. So the anonymity is appealing to the people who are dissidents in repressive countries, but it's it's equally appealing for totally different reasons to criminals. So so then are dark web marketplaces evil? Depends what they're selling. Leslie Caldwell is the Assistant Attorney General for the Department of Justice's Criminal Division. Leslie, thank you very much. Thank you. Hey, remember my shopping trip to the dark web with Andy Greenberg? Well, evil or not, the dark web does have its order processing challenges. And we had made a mistake. I never got my package, so I called up Andy the other day to check in. Hello. Hey, it's Ben. Hey, how are you doing? I haven't gotten my package yet. You haven't? No. Oh, man. Well, um, do you remember the username and password? Because we would have to go in and check what happened. Username was Dank Nugs, right? Yeah. And I think the password was... Right? That sounds right, yeah. Because remember we... Um, there was like some confusion about the address? Yeah, then we like sent that follow-up note. I can uh, just do it right now, if you give me one second. Sure. Okay, you have two messages here. (gasps) First one says, I need an address. Second one says, the GPG did not decrypt, need address to ship. Oh, no. Okay, so let's just be idiots and um, send him an unencrypted address. Okay. So um, what's the address again? I'll just put it in here. Sure. It's my name, Ben Danknugs Johnson. (laughs) I'm just running Ben Johnson. (laughs) That's fine. Um, Uh, uh, Marketplace? Yeah. New York, New York. Okay. So I've just written apologies about the error and then your address here. Anything else? I think that's it, right? I'll just... I think that's it. Well, he's very responsive. Good customer service. Cool. Well, I guess we'll have to see if it, you know, see if it shows up. It sounds like it probably will. All right, it's time to make a call. And to do that, I figured we could talk to one of the smartest guys I know when it comes to economies of all kinds. Kai Rizdahl, host of Marketplace. Kai, how are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. Happy to be here. So you think about the markets every day. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts about dark markets? Do they Are they the same as regular markets? Well, no, they're not, right? Because they are dark and, and uh, you know, it's a little bit like dark pools in the stock market. The markets in which you cannot see what is going on, they're by definition treacherous. But let's back up for a minute, right? Because yeah. money and consumers and sellers will always find a way. Thus, it has always been. Somebody, in fact, I think in this episode said that. it's been, There have been buyers and sellers, and, and that's the way it's going to be, right? People want something, they're going to find a way to buy it. Yeah. Now, now the more fundamental question, which I, I think is where you're going, because that's what this episode is about, is are these dark markets good or evil? Right. 
Yeah. So I'm going to dodge. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bob and weave. I'm gonna I knew duck. it. I knew it. I, I think what they are is a necessary evil. Okay. Yeah. Because they, they supply goods and services. And I'm not talking about the weapons of mass destruction and the, the hardline drugs or firearms or any of that stuff that you can buy here, right? Those right. are, should be, and will hopefully forever be illegal as regulated. Sure. But, you know, the, the guy you spoke to whose wife needed the inhalers. Yes. People who depend on things that they can't get at an otherwise reasonable market price... That's where these things serve a purpose. They, you know, capitalism doesn't exist in a vacuum. You come in and, and, and buyers and sellers will find a place to meet. And online, the place they have found to meet, one of them anyway, are these dark markets. So does that mean that they're, they're kind of like a check on, I don't know, fundamental problems that we have put into the design of how we, I don't know, make our economy work? Are they, are they like a correction tool? This is just a different form of a black market that exists in a in a space that a lot of us aren't really familiar with, right? So, for, for example, I'm actually a good example. Until I started listening to this episode, I wasn't quite sure how one got to the dark web. Yes. You know, and these, right? I was like, wait, Tor, you have to do what? And it's a separate browser and it looks the same, but it's a little bit, th- that's all news to me, man. Yeah. Um, it's crazy. And it looks the same. It looks exactly. the same. Let me tell you, it, it doesn't look any different. It's weird. Fundamentally, these are black markets and we know and have used and societies have thrived in otherwise very difficult times on black markets forever. Were you compelled at all by the researcher, David Deckery Haytu, and his argument that just purely the movement of drug deals to the web, even in a tiny sliver of the overall illegal drug market, reduced violence? No, I, no, I thought that was full of baloney. How come? Because, because of this, and you gave it away in, in, your, uh, in the way you posed the question, right? Let's think about what a minuscule portion of the overall you know, let's say drug trade this is. It's yeah. so tiny it would have to get exponentially bigger to be of consequence. And then you have measurement problems. One of the one of the conversations that I had with the folks on the law enforcement side, I felt bad for them in a way because it's just like it seems like this endless thing. They're just gonna be chasing people forever. Yeah. They're not gonna you put Ross Ulbricht in jail and it's you, you don't solve the problem. No, but you never do. And since, you know, since Ugg stole the first cow from Ig, we've had (laughs) crime, right? I mean, back in the day. It's not like it's new. And and the bad guys always find a way. And law enforcement always has to play catch up. I mean, you cover this in tech, right? Hackers do this and and, and security firms go, oh, well, we're going to patch this. And so they patch it and the hackers find a different way. That's just, we're always behind the power curve with law enforcement. Never Ending Story was a good movie, but it also works for this. That is correct. Kai Rizdahl, host of Marketplace. Kai, thank you for talking this through with me. Anytime. Next week on Codebreaker. This is a very basic error (laughs) we shouldn't have done. By the way, if you want access to all of this season's episodes, you don't have to wait for them to come out. You do have to find the code in this episode, though. Once you get it, you can input your code at the website codebreaker.codes. Maybe before you get there, you'll see my post at Marketplace.org about the dark web. You can find some good stuff there, like whether or not the drug scale we ordered ever showed up in the mail. That post, of course, is on the light web, but you might want to make it dark when you get there. Our show is produced by Claire Tennisketter, edited by Dave Shaw. 
Special thanks to Betsy Streisand and Dan Bobkoff. Codebreaker is made in partnership with the nice folks at the website techinsider.io. You should go there, read, watch, and listen to our stories and more. Just don't believe what they say about us. Whatever. You know, there's there's all kinds of things on there. I'm Ben Brock Johnson. Codebreaker is a Marketplace production from APM. APM.